It's the last Sunday of the year. And so it seems appropriate that we go to the last book of the Bible and almost the last chapter of the last book of the Bible. And so in a moment, we're going to read from Revelation chapter 21. But I recognize that any time I preach on Revelation, I do with my knees knocking just a little bit because it's a little bit of a minefield sometimes, right? Theologically, yes, but also emotionally for people as we consider uh, this writing, this ancient text of Revelation. And I do find that people have strange reactions to this text. Either we ignore it entirely because it's just too weird, right? Or some people get so fixated on it that they forget there's any other part of the Bible. It's kind of one way or the other a little bit. And I don't know where you're at in terms of reading Revelation, but one of the things that always helps me is to remember this. Revelation is, first of all, a letter written by a pastor to very real people in very real churches, and it was meant to encourage them to remain faithful, right? It wasn't meant to to confuse them. It wasn't meant to terrify them. So whatever image we have of Revelation, this letter, remember, to the original hearers and readers, it was meant to be an encouragement to remain faithful. And so I hope that that is what we come away with at the end of this message. Of course, it doesn't help that the very first word of this letter is apocalypsis. Because when I say apocalypsis, of course, we get the word apocalypse from that. What comes to mind for you? For me, it's zombies and the terrifying end of all humanity. The apocalypse is upon us. We even see apocalypse vehicles now being created, right? And so we have this image of the apocalypse as if it's the catastrophic end of the world. Now, I'm not sure I'm going to change your mind on that today, but I'm going to try. Because that's not what the word apocalypsis means. The very first word of this letter of Revelation, apocalypsis, actually means revelation. (laughs) That's why we call it the book of Revelation. It just means revelation or unveiling. Well, the unveiling of what? What does it reveal? Well, not the catastrophic ending of the world. That's not its focus. The rest of that opening line in Revelation says that this is the unveiling of Jesus the Messiah. That's the heart of this letter, is that it reveals Jesus to us. And so if you get lost in all the images and the dragons and the fire and smoke and whatever else, don't get too lost in that. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because this is meant to be the revelation of Jesus, the unveiling of Jesus, the Messiah. And when we have that focus, suddenly this doesn't become a terrifying letter. It becomes a letter that invites us to worship, a letter that invites us to uh, believe in the triumph of good over evil, to believe that, that there's something in store for this world that is beyond our imagination, and to encourage us to remain faithful. That's what we'll find if we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And in the passage we're about to read, we discover that this letter is all about Jesus making all things new. And so we're going to read that passage just in Revelations chapter 21. 
and reading verses just one through seven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Do I hear an amen at that? Amen. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give them freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. What a great passage. What a great hope to hold on to as we enter into this new year that could be full of uncertainty. We don't know what we're going to face. We faced so many challenges this last year. What does God have in store for us this year? This is the vision that we hold on to as we enter it. There's an iconic image in my mind, it might be in your mind too, of the fundamentalist evangelical preacher, street preacher, out wearing, you know, the the sandwich board, right? What does it say on the sandwich board? The end is near. Or maybe on the back it says, turn or burn, right? It's kind of an iconic image that we have in our minds. Uh, Now you don't see so many of those fundamental street preachers. Now it's the environmental activists that are saying turn or burn, right? The message is the same, just the voices have changed. Won't step into that too much, but anyway. But I want to suggest a better slogan for the Christian street preacher. If we're going to wear signs, I think we should say instead of the end is near, according to this passage, the beginning is near. And on the back, maybe we should say, come on home. Because that's the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is hope-filled good news that Jesus is making all things new. And we are near the beginning. (laughs) We're near the beginning of all good things. Jesus loves to make things new. If you follow his story through the Gospels and you read what he says to his disciples, he says things like, this is the new covenant in my blood. What a radical statement, right? Or a new command I give to you. What audacity Jesus had to say that he was giving a command. Only God gives commands, right? And he comes out and he says, a new command I give to you. And we read later on that if anyone is in Christ, they're what? A new creation, right? And here in this passage, we see Jesus making all things, everything new. And this is consistent with God throughout the entire scripture. God renames people, giving them a new identity. God restores people, giving them a new hope. And God resurrects people, giving them new life. God is about making all things new. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19, is really the text, the prophecy 
that's fulfilled in the text we just read in Revelation. Isaiah 43, it says this, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? God is doing a new thing. He's always about doing a new thing. And this promise is that one day he will make all things new. So in this vision of the new beginning, we do, though, see some surprising things. And hopefully you'll go home and read again and uh, think about some of these surprising things. The first one is, there is no more sea. What is that all about? Does that surprise you? I kind of like the ocean. I don't know about you. Uh, when we first moved to Calgary, so about 10 years ago now, we took our girls up to Calgary Tower. And uh, I grew up in the Okanagan Valley. And anywhere you go, basically, if you go up high enough, you'll see the lake. And then we spent 20 years down in White Rock near the coast. So I'm used to seeing a lot of water. So we went up the Calgary Tower and I'm walking around the tower thinking, there's something missing from this view. <laughs> you know, I see a beautiful river in the city and it was a beautiful day and there's no large bodies of water around. It was actually very disconcerting for me <laughs> to not see a large body of water. So what is this about? There's no longer any sea. Well, this is telling us that in making all things new, Jesus is going to restore order. Because as much as we might like the ocean, in the biblical text, the ocean, the sea, stands for chaos. The Spirit is hovering over the dark waters at the beginning and brings order out of the chaos. Jesus in the boat, when he calms the sea, what do the disciples do? They freak out. They're so terrified. Why? Because the sea represents chaos and evil. And here is Jesus calming the sea. Only God does that. And they're terrified of what he's able to do. And so in this sense, the vision of all things new is this, that order is restored. Do you ever feel that the world is in a bit of chaos, a little out of control, a little to hell in a handbasket <laughs> sometimes? Maybe that's even true of our lives. Sometimes this disorderedness that creeps in over time. And so we see this promise that order will be restored. The second curious thing I find is this, that this image, this heavenly image, comes down to earth. You see, I grew up with the idea that good Christians would be flying away from the earth while it burned with fire, that we would escape this great escapism that, that I was kind of taught in my youth, and maybe we still hold on to a little bit. But what I find here is this beautiful image of God and this new Jerusalem, this restored order coming down to earth. And it's curious to me. And yet it's super consistent with everything we find in Scripture, that God comes down to us. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? And after Adam and Eve sinned, what did the Lord do? The Lord came down to walk in the garden, right? What happened when the children of Israel were wandering in the desert? God comes down and dwells among them. He tabernacles among them. What happens that we just celebrated at Christmas, the incarnation? The word becomes flesh and moves into the neighborhood. God's orientation is toward us. That's an amazing testimony of God's grace. He's not only for us, but he moves toward us. And I just think that's a beautiful image that we find here. Just this image of this heavenly image 
coming down. Instead of escaping the earth, God comes down and redeems the earth. The third thing I find very interesting in this image is that we find in this beautiful image, we find a city instead of a garden. Anybody think of that as we went through it? Shouldn't we have found a garden? I mean, isn't that what paradise is? The restoration of something beautiful? When we think of paradise, we maybe think of a beautiful, pristine beach, right? Or the countryside, or maybe uh, the wilderness, or maybe a beautifully landscaped garden or something like that. But that's not what comes down here. It's a city. Aren't we supposed to avoid the city? I mean, the very first city mentioned in the Bible was built by a murderer, Cain. That tells you something about the city, right? The second city was Babel. You know what happened there? They built this giant tower. They're all scattered. Shouldn't we avoid the city? The city that, that stands for the opposition to God and his people is named Babylon. That's what we find in Revelation a lot, right? And Babylon is a city to be avoided for sure. So why is God bringing a city? Shouldn't we avoid the city? Isn't that why we're living in the suburbs? <laughs> right? I think I've been trained that the city is evil, to be avoided at all costs, and yet God redeems the city. And we should be about the redemption of the city as well. And by the city, I mean all that goes into human civilization. God calls us to be agents of change, to be salt and light in these cities. And as we do so, we are working toward his grand vision of the redeemed city of God. What a beautiful image that we have here. So all of these images and so much more, I hope you, you, you explore the text a bit more as you go home. But all of these images are meant to stir up our praying imagination. That's what Eugene Peterson talks about in his little booklet, book on Revelation. He talks about the praying imagination. These images aren't meant to be held onto as literal facts that we want to pin all our theology on. Instead, they're meant to stir up the praying imagination as we move toward hope, as we move toward God making all things new. For me, it's kind of like a child in the womb. Not that I remember this stage of my life very well, but, you know, when a child is in the womb, we're told that that child can interact with and hear noises. That's why we play music. You see some moms, right? They're playing music to their children. Um, I played a little bit too much 80s rock for my kids, I guess. That's why they still like it. <clears throat> so they, they can hear things, right? Um, they interact with what the mom eats. That affects the child too. So, and so there's this thin wall that separates the child from this great big world, and yet it has no capacity to fully understand the world beyond the womb. And I think the same is, is of heaven for us. This idea of what the final state of being will be is somewhat mysterious. We know that it exists. We have little interactions with it, but we lack the full capacity to fully understand it. And that's why John and others gives us such rich images. As it says in 1 Corinthians 2 and Isaiah 64, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. So we hold on to this. So even though we might not be able to fully comprehend all of these images and these promises, I think there's one promise that we can absolutely 
relate to, and it's found in verse 4. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I don't know entirely about the cities, and I don't know entirely about the lack of sea and all this kind of stuff, but I do know this, because this is our experience right now. Our experience is death and sorrow and crying and pain. I know that's your experience. That's my experience too. And so that promise I hold on to, that it will be gone forever when Jesus makes all things new. So here's my question. Why doesn't God do it right now? (laughs) Don't you want that? Do it now. Come, Lord Jesus, come right now. What are you waiting for? Why why are you allowing the suffering to continue? We can look around the world and name so many different places where we see suffering, but also in our own lives. Why don't you do it now? Well, the answer is, I don't know. (laughs) Except I find this verse in 2 Peter chapter 3, and it says this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Somehow in the delay of God, there is mercy and grace that God allows us to continue to call one another to come on home, to turn and to come home. The bottom line is this. God has not given up on this world, and neither should we. Neither should we. As we continue to work in the restoration of things and the renewal of things, we are working in line with God's great vision for humanity, and we are doing His will. So what should we do with this revelation, this unveiling of Jesus? Well, the message of revelation is actually really simple. It says that we should remain faithful. That's our task as we enter into this new year. And that's maybe all we can do. Maybe we won't do a lot of great things for God. I don't know. Maybe we will. But we meant to do this. Bottom line, to remain faithful. Verse 7 says, All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. I will be their God, and they will be my children. We are to remain faithful to love others, and to love God. We should remain faithful to meet together. We should remain faithful to forgive one another and to encourage one another. Remain faithful to serve the needs of the world around us. And remain faithful to share the good news about Jesus through our words and through our actions. And in doing so, we align ourselves with God's revelation of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, as we explore the world around us, uh, we're so often saddened by what we see. Sometimes even afraid, sometimes frustrated. Sometimes we feel very helpless. So Father, we thank you for this promise that in this new beginning, that your son is going to make all things new. We hold on to that in faith, trusting that you will be faithful to fulfill it in your time, in your way. But Father, as we continue in this broken world, we ask that you would help us to remain faithful as we enter this new year, faithful to love you and to love others, faithful to the gospel that you call us to. 
And may those who come behind us find us faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.